Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. So we're going to begin with Psalm 12. And I'm go I I uh sort of made up a heading, a headline for these two psalms, which is waiting for God to act. Okay, waiting for God to act. And I think that's sort of a common denominator between uh, both of them. But they are laid out. There's a similar there. That's the similarity. To be sure, there's a lot of difference in terms of how these are expressed. Okay, so let's 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 jump right in. So um, the first line, "Lamatzeh al ha'ashminit," means more le David. I checked about these means more le Davids. Psalms that begin one way or another uh, with reference to David. So interestingly, Psalms 3 through 41, with the exception of two, uh, with, with two Psalms, don't ask me what they were, I didn't write it down. But in other words, of those of that group of Psalms, all begin with a reference to David. So that is close to, um, what, one-third, more than 25% of all the psalms right there. Now, there are other psalms I, I sort of skimmed through that refer to David, but right after those, there's a whole section of psalms that refer to um, B'nai Korach, the priestly group, or the Levitical group, actually, you know, priestly, the Levitical group, called B'nai Korach, which presumes it could be some, some probably some choir uh, that was that sang because the Levites were the musicians, the singers and the musicians uh, who uh, played their instruments and sang in the temple uh, during worship, during the sacrifices. Yes. Was that related to Korah, uh, the rebel? Yeah, uh, yes. I, I'm not familiar with all the Midrash on that, but clearly the rabbis were aware of that. And they found that they have their stories that are told. I remember reading a few of them about how this evolved. And these B'nai Korach ultimately became a kind of a, uh, like a charata, right? They, they admitted this, the sins of the past and an attempt to rectify it. So they committed themselves to the, um, God, you know, in this way. But they were a ah, Mike. There's your picture. Yeah, it keeps coming and going. That, yeah. Anyway, so they, um, yeah. So they are descendants, ironically, of Korah, who was a real, you know, not a very nice guy. <laughs> but you know, it's how sometimes good people can come out of uh, bad roots, shall we say? Anyhow, so yeah. And then there's another group, Asaf. I think that's an individual uh, where the Psalms are. He's that that person is mentioned. Um, and then there's some that don't have any of these mentions. Uh, so anyway, but it's very interesting that a lot of David Psalms are bunched mm-hmm. up at the beginning. And a lot of them are crutches. I mean, they're ones that have these arguments and discussions about issues. Um and the Lord knows that it's, it's, it's befitting of David, because if you read his biography in the book of Shmuel, you will see this was a guy who was uh, an up and down sort of guy. You know, he did a lot of things, but he did good things, a lot of bad things. Tough character. Strange. Mm-hmm. It's a guy who almost 
danced naked when they brought the ark into Jerusalem, you remember. And his poor wife, Michal, was watching it, and she was so embarrassed for him. You know, and he says, what do you mean? It's for God. He he knows what I'm doing. I don't have to worry about the people. God knows my my zeal and my my commitment. So, yeah. All right. So let's see what it says. What's a Sheminit? Guess what? Nobody knows. Seventh day? There are about five different suggestions as to what that means. Well, it'd be eighth. That's not a musical instrument like the Gitit were last time. People say it could be, or it could be the eighth of something, or who knows what. I'm not going to, it's not going to be on the final. You don't have to remember it. Um, I don't know. It sounds like a musician, uh, a musical, but I don't know. All right. So that's the introduction. Now, the first line. Now, remember last time we talked about a frame, a beginning and an end? Okay. So when we finish this, I'm going to show you a frame. Now, what you're going to see here in the course of this psalm is a kind of bouncing back and forth between godly things and human things. And there's a, it's a, it reflects attention that the psalmist or the, or the speaker here is dealing with. Okay. And it represents, it seems to represent something that's going on in his head and his assumption of things. Now, this is not, the psalmist here is not speaking for himself. He is not. He is speaking about an issue in the community. It's a social issue, a communal issue. Nothing to do with him directly. So it's, he seems to be above this, but he's bothered by what it is that he observes in the community. And that's the thrust of what's going on here. Okay. All right. So. Verse one, we did that. Hoshia Adonai ki gamar chasid ki pasu emunim mibne adam. Okay, so hey, God, by the way, the translation that I'm going to be using is the combination last week. It's a combination of Ben Siegel's translation in his book and the JPS. I'll be bouncing back and forth between them so we get two perspectives on it. Okay. But mostly, there's a lot of commonality, but some subtle differences pop up. Anyhow, so again, save, O Lord, for the faithful one is no more. The loyal have vanished from among humankind. That's what he's saying. And if you look at the Hebrew, you have Gamar Hasid, right? The faithful have come to an end. Kipasu Emunim, right? Because the the uh, imunim have uh, have uh, have vanished. They're not there. They're gone. And uh, you have, as you look at the structure, ki gamar chasid ki pasu imunim. Again, you got that two, the two, the, the two uh, continuing passages. Right. The last one is an end, uh, ending thing, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the point is that these people, well, chasid. It's interesting. What is a chassid? It translated, he translates this as, as the faithful, and they say it's the same uh, in the JPS. The gamar chassid is, is a singular, okay? Now, it could be a singular that represents the community, those people, right? It's almost, we're down to the last one, and he's gone. Okay. What is a chassid, though? Today we, we have the word chassid. Immediately we think about 
Hasidim. But don't we think about kindness, like Gemulus Hasidim, linked to the ethical value? Right, but that's that's an extension. But but let's get. I'm getting there. That's based upon the meaning of that word. What is Chesed? Chesed in the Bible actually means you find it a lot in references to the covenant. And it means, if you will, a a committed act of what we will call goodness or righteousness in the framework of a commitment, okay, that one is committed to these things. So when it says, God, I see your hand, I see your hand. Uh, it says, so if you're talking about God as a chassid, as, you know, and gemilut chassadim, gemilut chassadim, which means the 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 giving of of uh, acts of chesed. In that context, it's God fulfilling God's commitment to the people, and the people in turn are supposed to fulfill their commitments to God. So when it says chassid here, it's not meaning necessarily a righteous person. It is by by implication. Mm-hmm. Committed to God is going to be a righteous person, and that's 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 understood here. But it means really people who are loyal. So it's parallel to the word emunim, emunim, mm-hmm. right? That which is fixed, that which is regular, that which is uh, so. Emunim are loyal people. Right. So loyal and chassid have the same sort of subtle commit connotation. I see the hands in that they are, they are referring to, to a loyalty to God, a loyalty to God, committed to God. And they're both, they're both missing. They're gone. And the root pasas, this verb pasu in the Hebrew, which means they pass, they're gone. They're vanished. They vanished, disappeared. It's from a root pasas, pesamach samach. And this is what's called a hapax legomena. The only one found in the whole Bible is, this is the only place where that verb appears, where that root appears. Only place. In fact, you will see by the time we are finished that there's a second hapax in this psalm. That's a lot of hapaxes for nine verses. Okay? You can go for chapter after chapter after chapter reading the Bible. You won't find one. Two in one, which is really interesting, because to me it sounds like the author of this, you know, is using highfalutin language, or else it's very old, and it has sort of lost its. Uh, you know, people stopped using it. I don't know the answer to that, but it's an it's something you just can't skip over. Okay, so now we have some hands up. Let me get some questions. A person, is it Jeannie or Jean? Jean. It's Jeannie. Okay. I just want to introduce myself to everybody. I'm, I'm Jeannie Herman. I'm not that involved in the temple, although I've been a member for many years. So uh, I just want to introduce myself and say hi. Um, and I, Rabbi Rambam, I'm looking in the JPS Tanakh, and it just says one word, and you said it, Hasid is loyal. It just says faithful, which really says exactly what you were saying. But that's how they interpret it in the JPS Tanakh. As faithful. The faithful are no more. That is correct. So and that, what was the one verb that you said in the next in the next sentence that only shows up here? Both say both Siegel and uh, JPS say faithful. Yeah. 
What was the what was the verb that you said only shows up in this in this psalm? I'm sorry. Hasu. Hasu. Where the, where it says the the loyal have vanished from among them. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. No. Next is uh, yes, Leon. My the translation that I'm using is slightly different, and it says. For vanish this trust from the sons of men. And it's basing himself on the fact that emunim is a, an abstract verb. And therefore it is not a reference to a person, but to a situation. Right. And the situation is the fact that faithlessness, faithfulness has disappeared. Understood. But I think the, in this instance, <clears throat> this is a, a, you know, we're talking about biblical Hebrew. And we cannot uh, assume that the, that the nuances were identical to the way this, these ver- verbs evolved. More significant here is the parallelism with Hasid. The Hasid is talking about people. B'nai Adam is talking about people. And so in this case, both both sources that I've dealt with, with whom I have great for whom I have great respect, uh, say it refers to not the later usage of Emunim, which is as you say, uh, acts of faithfulness or faithfulness, but really referring to people. So I, I will accept uh, my feeling is I understand what you're saying. And from a certain level, it sounds reasonable. But on the other hand, the structure here would argue in the other direction. Thank okay. You. Finally, B'nai Adam. So in other words, it's not just from the people, it's from, from, from humankind. Right, it's it's it doesn't say meha'am, right, or meha'kahal from the people or from the community. Adam. So the, the 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 impact of this lack of faithfulness, lack of commitment on the part of the people, seems to have, you know, global implications. So it's not just Jews. That's right. Adam does not mean Jews. All right. Now. Go to the very last line, and if you look at the last line, line nine, look at the last two words. Okay. So Siegel suggests that this constitutes a kind of a frame. And I will I will suggest that indeed I think it's more than just the use of those words. Because if you look at the look at verse nine, and we'll come back to it later. Saviv Rishaim Yithal Yithalachun. Very unusual. It's like almost like an Aramaism. Halachun. Or it could be an ancient thing. Kirum Zulot. Okay. Kirum Zulot. With the exalting, with the elevating of, of vileness. Okay, vileness is exalted. But it means that the point is, it's an indication of the fact that this problem, the fact that evil people are roaming around, that vileness is exalted again among human beings. So the, the point is, it begins with that as a problem, right? And it calls upon God to bring saving, bring, bring salvation, literally, because this problem 
is is a big problem. The faithfulness is gone. And in the end, it sort of reiterates that. Now using different words, but it ends B'nai Adam as well. So it begins and ends with with a real disturbing message. That's got you gotta keep that in mind. It begins and ends with a real disturbing message. Strange for a psalm. Are they talking about the time that David was running away from the uh, from Saul? Because that's what it seems to be portrayed here. Could be, but I mean, he's talking. He, he the whole theme of the psalm is not so much evil, crazy deeds, but word the, the 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 problem of words. That that's that's you'll see that 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 pops up a lot. And it's more than it, it's more abstract. Psalm with Saul, one can talk about hatred. One can talk about <laughs> schizophrenia. One can talk about um, violent activity, right? Uh, I get it. Thank you. Ability. Yeah. Other other topics are more more fitting for Saul. This is this really has got a big focusing at the beginning on the power of language. And what struck me is uh, this is a very relevant theme for where we are right now, time-wise, in the 21st century. The power of the spoken word. Okay, a hand went up. Anybody else? All right. Tybal's hand is up. Rabbi, when you were just saying that, it made me wonder, and this is my first time learning to heal him with you, so I don't know offhand if you taught taught it before but did you look at the 150 and see which spoke to you or did you have specific scenes and things you wanted to do so then you looked for ones that illustrated it no i was looking for the theme i was looking for were issues as you will see where great problems are raised or great power is something that that i say that, that that packs a wallop okay and I, I find, I have found in reading Psalms 12 and 13 that they pack a wallop in terms of the message that they convey. So it was the message that hit me more than anything else. Okay, does that answer your question? Yes. Because you'll see that 13 in a different way packs a wallop. Okay, Bert? Uh, two questions, a question actually and a comment. Uh, the translation I have, it says, men speak lies to one another. Their speech is smooth. That's not that verse. You're moving ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on verse three. That's sorry. <laughs> At this rate. I, I thought you were talking about the end of the psalm. So I was confused. No, 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 no. The, the end of the psalm. Yeah, but no, no, no. Okay. okay. I, I jumped ahead. I take it, I take it back. <laughs> I just wanted you to see the frame and, and the notion, you know, what's lying ahead, this this, this great troubling uh, issue that doesn't seem to go away. That's the point. All right. Now, verse 3. Now we find something very interesting. Shabi yedabru ish et re'ehu sefat halakot halakot beleb valev yedaberu. Okay? So, shav yedabru Ish et re'ehu, lev valev, yedaberu, re'ehu, lev valev, yedaberu. Do you hear the sounds? Okay, yedabru, 
Yadaberu, right? So I mean, the, again, speech is the is this issue, all right? Shav, shav here definitely means li- lies, okay, and, or falsehoods. And it's interesting that this is the this, this same meaning for it. I mean, you can shav can mean uh, worthless, okay. But it can mean also a lie. And the best example of that is the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy style, uh, in uh, Devarim, Deuteronomy 517. This is the ninth commandment. Lo ta'aneh bereyacha eid shav. Don't testify against your, your companion, your, your fellow, uh, with as a lying witness. So shav there definitely means lying. And that's how it's translated in the English. So here too, they tell lies one to another. Right? And sfat chalakot, belev valev, smooth lips. Right? They're, they're, they're smooth talkers, to use a more contemporary term. Smooth talkers, right? And they speak from both sides of their heart, with their two hearts. We would say they uh, talk out of both sides of their mouth. Work tone. This, this is, this is very interesting stuff, isn't it? Sounds very contemporary, right? So that's the situation. All right. So that is referring to the evil folks, right? But now another force comes into play. Verse four. Yachreit Adonai kol siftei chalakot. Let God cut off. It's interesting. Not cut off tongues, but cut off lips. Okay? In other words, cut off meaning destroy, right? Karat means to cut. Let, Let God cut off these smooth uh, lips, smooth-talking lips. So clearly it's a reference to the previous verse. Ah, but now, lashon medaberet gedolot, a tongue, right, or a language. Now you can cut off a tongue, right? Medaberet gedolot, that is speaking large things, okay? Uh, what does that mean? Either grand, uh, this, speaking about the, uh, themselves in grandiose terms or, or making up all kinds of huge issues, huge problems, or wonderful things that are not worth anything. Okay. In other words, bloated language of some kind. All right. So this is, this, this is a rather graphic, if you will, depiction of the pro, of one of the elements of the problem of the speech. Okay, Rick. Hi. Um, I wanted to um, apologize to the group from last week when I said something like, in Hebrew, there isn't much rhyming, okay? Uh, I, I could see some reactions of people. I meant the, the regular Torah. The regular Torah verses, there's not a lot of rhyming. But there is rhyming in Hebrew poetry and I'm sure in, in modern songs. And there is rhyming here, so I wanted to... You had Re'ehu and then Yidaberu. You had Chalakot and Gidolot. So um, I just wanted to point that out. 
Thank you. Yes. Little rhyme. But but again, it's it's artistry. It also helps remembering things because you have to look. You have to assume that at a certain point, a lot of this stuff was being transmitted orally. Orally, yes. Uh huh. So, yeah, exactly. But it's this is poetry again. This structure as well. Asher amruli l'shoneinu nagbir svatenu itan svatenu itanu. Oh no, that's next line. Sorry. Okay. All right, yeah, let's look at the next line. Asher Amul, for they have said, Lil Shonenu Nagbir, through our, by our tongue, by what we say, we will make ourselves great. Svatenu Itanu, our lips are with us. Mi Adon Lanu, who can rule, who can be our, our master? Who can be our master? We will be the power. By virtue of our talk, our, our ability to speak, to speak lies and deceptions. Okay. And that, when you say me, I don't lanu, you're talking about evil people. And in a sense, that's a denial of God. Okay. Could be talking about people, other people, but you don't know. Cause very often people like this assume that they are God, if not theologically. At least in terms of the power that they believe they yield, the people who speak this as presenting their ability to speak the way they do will enable them to. to, to. Rabbi, yes. Uh, last week, particularly, and and to some extent this week, we're getting so much background noise when people are are not muted. I couldn't hear anything you said. It was cutting out constantly. So can we have everybody mute except you until you call on somebody? Okay. Let's all mute. Okay. And then when you want to talk, unmute. Raise your hand. And then when I call on you, unmute. Okay. Fine. Okay. Good idea. All right. So we've done verse, uh, that was verse five. Right. Now let's look at verse six. Now, by again, in verse, verse, this verse goes, does not mention God. So far, um, God has been mentioned at the, at the beginning where God's saving power is asked, right? God, the, the speaker is asking God to save the situ, save us from this horrible situation. And then, um, now God, God was mentioned in verse four. That God should cut off the, the lips and, and tongues of these people. God should act to do that. Right. And then now verse five, it goes back to the evil people who speak again their words of deceit and power, etc. Now in verse six, God will become the uh, the uh, focal point. So as as uh, Rabbi Siegel notes, that you have here an A-B-A-B type of a structure where it bounces back and forth. So this is intentional, showing the two sides, right? So on the one side is God's God and God's power. On the other side are these evil people and their spoken words and their power. And we now see that there's a, a kind of a conflict between the two. So this is now what, what's going to happen 
when God takes action, this is what he it would be expecting that uh, will happen. All right. Now, the point is, we got to look carefully at this. Just you'll see what I mean in a minute. Mishod aniim, from the plundering of the poor, me'enkat evionim, from the groaning of the poor. Okay, so out of that background, from out of that, God will say the following: Ata akum, now I will rise. Yomar Adonai, God will say. Now the translations of verse six say says the Lord, and that's fine. I'm wondering if this is a not a present, but a future anticipation that God will be saying this, because Yomar is a future verb. It's not a past tense or a present tense. You can read, I mean, it can be used that way. I'm not denying it. But it sounds as if I can, I would, I would reason that, that the, the speaker is saying, uh, God will say these. He's, that's, a, if you will, an, asser, an assertion or an assumption. And God will also say, Ashit Beyesha, Yathiach Lo. Okay. I will grant, I will place, set in place, Yesha. Right? So you began in verse two, Hoshia, redeem, save. Yesha means salvation. Okay, salvation. What's Joshua's name? Yehoshua. Right? The name Joshua. Yehoshua. Yeho is God's name. Shua. Shin Vav Hey. Shin Shin Vav Ayan. Not Hey. Shin Vav Ayan. Here, Yud Shin Ayan. Same verb. Save. Savior. So I will grant salvation. Yafiach lo. Yafiach is an interesting verb. Um, it's from the same root, pevav chet, which is the same verb that God uses, that, that describes God bringing alive the first human being in chapter two of the creation story, the second creation story, right? It says, vayitach, Be'apav nishmat chayim. And he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. So the verb means to blow in some way. Okay? So what, how, how are we going to understand it here? It means that the, 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 the person, the, the poor, the poor are longing for this. They, they, they pant. This is what they pant for. This is what they, huh, we, we had groaning up above, right? In the first part of the sentence, right? And kat ebionim. They're groaning. And I would suggest this is paralleling to that, that this is a, that's their, oh, I need this. Or are they getting it? They're getting now the salvation from God. Oh, thank God. Oh. Something like that. I think that's what's going on here. Okay? Because the Ripuach generally has something to do with the movement of air blowing, something like that. So I think that may be a nuance that uh, we should focus on. So it really make, it makes the, the, um, you can hear the poor people 
in their suffering from the words that are being used here. So it's interesting. The, the author, the speaker criticizes legitimately and castigates those who speak evilly, right? Who speak lies, half truths, deceitfully. And you see that you get that very powerfully expressed. And now here you see the, you get a feel for the, the, the sense that the poor have those who have been uh, deep, uh, whose wealth has been plundered by the speakers of evil. Okay. And now they are, they're getting salvation. They can breathe more easily, right? Because the help has arrived or will arrive, will arrive. Okay. He hasn't, he hasn't given up hope. I don't think not yet. Then look at verse seven. Imrod Adonai Amarot Tahorot. Right? God's words are pure. God's words are pure. The spoken words of God, in contrast to what we read in verses three, four, and five. Right? So now the, the speaker is setting up a, a, a very clear contrast. All right? And what is what are his words like? Kesef Tsaruf, right? Purified silver. Alil la'aretz. Okay, now here again, alil means it is an earthenware crucible or a crucible that is in the ground that is used for smelting silver, for purifying silver. So this is a real thing. Okay, alil la'aretz in the land, either made out of earth or in the earth. I say your hand, Mike, just a second. All right. Guess what? This is the second Hapax Legomenon. Ta-da! Two in one psalm. And not a long psalm at that. It's only found at one, this one time. This is it. So folks, you should be really excited like I am. You're witnessing Hapax Legomenon. Two in one psalm. When have you ever gotten anything like that? What a wonderful gift. Right. Anyway, isn't that interesting? But um, again, it's showing us this guy knows language that a lot of people don't use. Like, in a sense, first Isaiah, right? The Isaiah who wrote chapters 1 through 39, the, the real prophet Isaiah, also has an amazing command of language and uses a lot of terms that are not commonly used in other biblical books. Mike Harris, hand up. Yes, I just thought that this was kind of interesting, the difference in, in metaphor between the psalm and what we would use today. They uses the term silver for for God's speech, meaning that it's something good, whereas we talk about a silver-tongued person being like the evil one. Yes, very interesting, right. <clears throat> words, same words take on different meanings, right? Yes, yeah. Perhaps the silver tongue relates to the smooth tongue. You know, it's a smooth, silvery finish. I don't know. But anyway, yes, that's a good point. Thank you. All right. So, God, that's God. All right. Then it's Mizukak Shivatayim. It is purified seven times, not once, not twice. It goes through seven times. In other words, we're talking about real purity here. 
Again, the number seven, yes, recreation. It's a big number in the Bible. So here, this, this, the, 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 the it's, it's as if God has purified, made sure that the words that God speaks are a hundred percent pure. Okay. It's like taking uh, bugs out of lettuce. No, that's a bad example. I don't think it's done seven times. Probably should be. Anyway. All right, Leon. My translation says that uh, the reason they think it's a furnace comes from Onkelos, from Tarbum. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, where would he have gotten it? What? Wait, wait, wait. The word Alil? Yeah. That's an Aramaic word? Well, no. That the reason they think it means a furnace is because it was translated in the Aramaic to furnace. Oh, oh I see this. Translated. Yeah. That I didn't know. <clears throat> but it is. it seems to be accepted that way. Yeah. It's very interesting. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. I can tell you. Let me get my old Kerler Baumgartner handy pocket dictionary. <laughs> I have Brown Driver and Briggs also, but it's on the computer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and let me see what he says about this. Hold on. Because they put, they, they make, you know, they, they dig into the linguistics of it. All right, here we are. Alio. Uh, all right, you already have it translated, and I don't read Greek, but it's, there is a translation of it in the Septuagint. It's in the Peshitta, which is a later Aramaic translation, not Targum. Um, in the Targum, it's Kura, which is a smelting kiln, which is a crucible. Okay, so but if if it's from the Septuagint, then it's already been defined with that with that meaning um, centuries before the Targum, which is mentioned in there. The Targum is mentioned. That word Korah. Yeah. So the meaning of it must have been uh, around already. Yeah, here simply mentions that it is uh, an Aramaic translation of Onkelos, okay? Um, and it, it doesn't consider the translation as certain. Yeah, Kora is the Targum term. All right, uh, Tybal. <clears throat> um, if it's okay, just a passing comment. Sometimes what else is going on really primes different associations. And earlier today for an adult education program in which I teach, we were doing Gabriel Garcia Marquez's novella about dictators, inspired by the horror of dictators, which is Autumn of the Patriarch. And it's just, to me right now, there's this very eerie resonance with what you're saying and what went on earlier today, which I would never have thought of, I think, if it weren't the same day. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the, the, you know, the person who was the real expert in the power of the spoken word was a name that I shouldn't even mention while we're studying the Bible. <clears throat> but you can uh, think about that. He died in 1945. <clears throat> okay, anyhow, um, so th we have this contrast. So finally in verse, not verse 8, 
So now, now the, the speaker is, is turning to God and saying, Ata Adonai Tishmarein. You, God, guard them. Titsrenu. Protect each one of them. Now, by the way, it's very interesting. Tishmarein is plural. Titsrenu means, literally, it means, uh, protect him. That new is a, it doesn't, it's not a plural in this con, in this particular construct. It means protect him. So it's a This is thing. not referring to words, to the words of the prior. No, 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 no. You will, no, no, no. He's talking. The prior verse says the words of the Lord are pure. No, but this is the next verse. Right. It's not referring back to the prior verse. That was my question. About the people here. Each one. The, the, the seagull mentions this, and I think he's right. You protect each one. Protect each one of them. This is not just collectively. Each individual should be protected. Min hador, min hador zu olam from this generation and forever. Door is interesting. Door zu zu is normally associated with a feminine. Okay, a feminine noun. But here it's used with door. Now the plural of door is dorot. Okay, but door is a masculine word. So I'm confused. I'm not going to answer this. Again, it could come from a time, which would be any time in biblical times, when the rules of grammar were still soft. They were still in flux. And so you have usages that are anomalous, that are strange to us. But to them, it wasn't that way. Things were not fixed that way. And when you read the Bible a lot, you see this. Okay. All right. But now, so it says, God, <clears throat> you take care of them. Take care of these people from now on. That's as if that's a plea or a mandate from the speaker. But how does it end? Bad, the bad guys, the evil ones are roaming around, right? They're doing it now. Violence is exalted among humans. It's still there. So where do we end up? Where do, what do, where do we end up? Mike? It's almost as if eight and nine were reversed, a scribal error at some point or something. Yeah, you might think that. But I mean, the nine was, it's too powerful a, uh, statement. Um, and I, I think no, it's interesting. Nobody, nobody, you, you, you've come up with a novel interpretation from what I've, I've been able to read. Uh, but again, it fits though, the Livne Adam, because it's repeating that same term. And basically it's that we end up where we started. So, I mean, I think what we find here is a struggle that's going on. The speaker is reflecting this between the reality and the hope. And there's a tinge of cynicism that things have been, have gotten so much out of, so far out of hand. He said, how can God let it get this far? So he says, God, fix it quick. I'm waiting and nothing's happened. That's why I say waiting for God to act. He doesn't dismiss the potential for God to act. But at the end, he's clearly waiting. 
Right. The evil, the evil here, if I understand it properly, is bad words among people. And that's the affront to God, not failing to worship or. Right. It's, it's, it's the bad words to each other. That's the problem. Yes. That's a very good point. This is not, the issue here is not a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Avera ben adam la, ben adam la, ladonai. A, a sin, a transgression against God. Although anything, the point is, ultimately, yes, it is. Because any transgression against humans is also a transgression against God. Right? Especially since in the Torah, uh, this is clearly, these kinds of sins are clearly laid out. Right? And it's asur. It's prohibited to talk, to do these things. But they're doing it. But yes, it shows a great concern for ethics. Right? Yeah, and there's this, this kind of a sense of helplessness that, you know, how, how can we stop these people from using words to destroy? And maybe God can help. Yeah, maybe God, I'm waiting. Okay, come on, God, please, hurry up. I'm waiting. I know you, you, think, a, you think there's a missing verse where God says, oh, wait a minute, you got, it's got to start with you? No. <laughs> I think this guy is saying it's gone too far. Because, look, the fact is they've already impoverished people, these evil folks. They've taken the power away. Okay, that, that's what this is saying. I mean, ultimately, it tells us the power of the spoken word. And when the spoken word is evil and deceitful and lying, it destroys civilization, destroys society. So it's it's a it's a downer, guys. At least it leaves us struggling. Let's put it that way. It leaves us struggling. This is in the book of Psalms, folks. This is in our Bible, right? A, a challenge to God is, is sitting right there from a guy who seemingly is a, is a believer. But even the believers, you know, that reminds me of a, a true story. Uh, a guy, a young man, this is years ago. I don't think he's young anymore. Um, told me a story, a personal story. He was in Yerushalayim, and he went to visit a, uh, a chassid, a rebbe, just to talk to him. He had some questions, and you know, he wanted to get some spiritual advice. You know, good, a good thing. And he looked around, and he said, "My God, with all these books and all the studying you have done, boy, you must have." all the answers to all the questions. And the Rebbe said to him, no, my son, the more I read, the more questions I have. Very interesting, very honest response. And even the person of, of the utmost faith, and nobody's denying this person's faithfulness, right? They am sure see themselves about the, the imun, you know, the, the, the imunim, the faithful ones. He, he's one of them. But... The situation is evoking questions in, and that's the reality. All right, yes, it's, it's, it doesn't leave us, uh, I, I, I don't know how spiritually uplifted we are. It's troubling, okay? It's troubling. Look, we live, we live in very troubling times where words are used in many destructive ways. Yes, that's my point. And, you know, I think many of us are praying that somehow, somewhere, there is some help that can come along and, 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 and wipe this slate clean, do a little, uh, purification of language, 
right? Get those get that crucible working so that the the language that is used is purified in, in, in multiple levels. Okay, in multiple levels. All right, but we don't always see it happening, do we? Okay, now um, we're going to turn to Psalm 13. Right? All right, and now this is a short one, a very short one. But oh my God. Well, you'll see. <laughs> now, this is different. This is the speaker speaking for himself, right? This is, we're reading about how he feels, okay? How he feels and what his struggle is. All right, so here we go. So, Lamatseach Mizmor David, same thing, right? Except there's no reference here to a musical instrument. Manatseach, again, is the director, the conductor. All right, so that's the introduction. Now listen to this. Adana Adonai Tishkacheni I blocked it out. Yeah, Tishkacheni Netzach. Okay. How much longer, God? How long are you going? How long, God? Are you going to forget me forever? It seems like you've forgotten me, God. Okay. Adana Tastir at Panechamimeni. How long are you going to hide your face from me? What does the hiding of the face mean? Ignore. Is it, isn't it a reference though to Moshe? What? Isn't it a reference to Moshe who had to hide his face? So he did, he, he couldn't see God? No, this is talking about God hiding God's face. Okay, it's, it's God hiding God's face. When you would hastarat panim, as you see, the, the hiding of the face, it means, think about this way, <clears throat> the priestly blessing. Right? May God bless you and, and watch over you. May God cause his face to be illuminated upon you. May God turn his face to you and grant you peace. So what does that say? When God's face is facing us, what's going on? He's looking at us. He's paying attention to us. Supporting us. What? Supporting us. Say again. He's wetting us. Supporting. Supporting. There, right. He's, 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 he's doing, he's relating with us in a positive Blessed way. Astarat Panim is the opposite. It's his face is covered, meaning he's either forgotten us or more importantly, he's ignoring us or he doesn't want to give us the blessing of the face. So we're faced with problems because of that. We're suffering because he's turned his face away from us or has hidden it in some way. Jeannie. So this is somewhat of a loaded question, but when you, I'm going to bring it to full circle to today, when you have soldiers who are praying, because we've all seen the pictures of soldiers praying, and when you have soldiers reading this, Israeli soldiers, how do they handle this type of a psalm when they're trying to understand why God has turned his face on them? Well, that's a very good question. A little loaded, 
but I think it's something on everybody's mind. Maybe they would skip it and read some other ones that are more hopeful. <laughs> you know, seriously. Uh, but, you know, but that's the whole point. I see your hand, Leon, just a second. I think the, the reality is this is not an uncommon human experience for all kinds of reasons, right? I mean, a person who's been in the pink, you know, the health and suddenly gets slammed mm-hmm. with a health problem, regardless of age, right? They get slammed, a 180-degree change, and they turn to God and pray, right? And aren't they asking the same question? Same thing. It's interesting that um, I often teach this. The mourner's Kaddish is the same thing as the long Kaddish that we say at the end of a service. That one line is taken out. And we pray that God hear the prayers of the people. Because that, that long Kaddish says, you know, that God did kabel tzloton avaton. May you accept the prayers and supplications of your people. But for the mourner's cottage, it's taken out. Why is it taken out of the mourner's cottage? Because the cottage is said at a time when a person who probably has paid, prayed for the well-being of the deceased mm-hmm. and has and feels that that prayer was worthless because the deceased died. And so it's in effect saying, you have your doubts. We grant you that liberty. So don't say that prayer right now, because it's not where you are spiritually. Okay? Well, that's a, that, that sort of, that's what you're talking about. And it's, it's a valid dilemma. A valid dilemma. Okay? So clearly he's feeling uh, because of a situation in which he finds himself, that God has not been responsive. Okay. All right. Uh, who, Bert, who had a hand? Bert. I think Leon was first. first. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> well, uh, I think Rashi has got something that is significant because he takes it from the personal into the more general people base. He says, Four times has this occurred. Yes. First to the exiles of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Edom. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. Rashi says, how long, okay, Adhena, let's, uh, you know, Adana, how long? Four times corresponding to the four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Edom. Edom is Rome. Rome, right. And uh, so what he's saying is this refers not to a person, but to the entire people Israel. So okay. he's bringing up to the communal. Right. Okay. No, that that's Rashi midrushing. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, but Rashi can, I don't know, is there another statement that he makes with the pshat? I mean, he, he remember, Rashi can do both. Yes. And, Rashi. Uh, he's midrushing. Uh, he knows shot the plane me and uh Malvin says something else but it's complex and i haven't read it all so i i'm not saying it but the plain meaning is what we're saying the whole thing is okay you'll see it's it the whole thing is personal i understand you know why why rashi does that because you know he's living at a time when he's 
he knows the pressures that are going on with respect to the people. And Edom by that time does not mean Rome anymore. It means Christianity. Okay? And so, you know, that that's that's where he's at. All right, Bert. Uh, just uh, bouncing off what you said about the personal aspect of this. This psalm strikes me as extremely personal, extremely desperate, and phenomenally human. It is a person in deep despair trying to talk to the universe and saying, oh, my God, I'm, I'm all alone. How I'm suffering. How long is this going to last? And it, it's for me, it's one of the most personal and powerful psalms for that reason. It's not intellectual at all. This is tough stuff. Yeah, exactly. Good. You'll see. Look at the next line. All right. Adana hashit etzot benafshi. Okay. How long will I continue to be causing anxieties in my soul? Uh, I'm going to use the Kerler Baumgartner interpretation of etzot. You know, etzah today means uh, instruction, a suggestion. An Eitsa, yeah, Eitsa Tova, I'll give you a good suggestion. Okay. Um, but it, it has many meanings. And here it, it refers to uh, the dictionary, the lexicon says anxieties. I think that's spot on. And it's parallel to, um, the Yagon, the agony of the second part. Ashit Eitsot Benashi, Yagon Bilvavi Yomam. Right. I place uh, anxieties. I, I cause anxieties in my soul and I cause agony in my heart every day. Sounds like Job. But Job had agony that was more than emotional. It was physical as well. But he had the emotional stuff, too. OK, so and this is very personal. Right. And then finally, how for how long? Will my enemy be over me, right? Be on top of me, okay? So now you have four statements of Ad-Ana. And again, when you have this kind of repetition, I, twice I can see, yeah, okay. Three times Oive, four times Azachim today, right? This is, this is bad. This is really heavy duty stuff. And I'm, I'm with Bert on this. This guy is really, really suffering. Yes. Question is, what kind of suffering? What kind of suffering? You get a hint when he talks about, it's not physical, right? He doesn't talk about physical suffering. He's talking here about emotional suffering, okay? And he talks about he his anxieties and his agony, right? This this guy is in a, is in a very bad psychological state. Very bad emotional state. This is very, very contemporary. Very contemporary. Okay, Rick. Hi. Um, I also, um, I think that there's some positive in it in that he's bringing it on himself. It's, it's not like he's saying, Oh, my enemies are making me feel bad. He's making himself feel bad. Ashit is, is the first person. I'm, I'm setting, and it's all very personal. I'm setting, uh, this, um, the art scroll has, I, how long must I set schemes within myself, 
right? So it's like when the spies went and saw the land and 10 of them said, oh, uh, in, in their eyes, we look like grasshoppers, right? It was, it's all about the image. We weren't really grasshoppers, but they're saying that they were like that. So here he's, yeah, he's feeling really low and he's, he's putting bad stuff on him. But, um, I'm a positive thinker and, and you have to, you have to get past that and, and look for, look for the silver lining kind of thing. And, uh, that's what he, uh, ends up with, uh, oh. at the end. But, um, yeah, it, it's, yeah, again, it's not the enemy's putting it on me. It's I'm putting it on myself. No, but the enemy is somebody else too. Okay. The enemy is clear is upon him. The question is, what's the enemy? Yes. What's the enemy? We'll talk about it in a second. Okay. But then if we look at this, the interesting, what I find interesting is uh, there are four Adanas, right? There are four how long complaints. Two of them are th- are thrust at the feet of God, right? You're forgetting me and you're cutting off communications with me. You're ignoring me, right? So t- t- twice he's, he's, he's pleading with God. He's yelling at God. Then he, yes, he talks about himself. This, this situation, it's almost like he's saying the situation with which I'm finding myself, which has, which comes from out sources beyond me, God twice and the enemy, whomever that is. Okay. And he, but this is in a sense, it's it, as a result of this process of being stuck in this, Suck in this emotional muck. He's making it worse because he's even bringing more into his neshama. So yeah, this guy's getting it from all sides. That's what his opinion. That's what his perception is. Remember, this is his perception, right? The question is, who's the enemy? All right. Then he goes on to say, Habita, take a look at me. Look, you covered your face. Look at me. Anani, answer me, Adonai Aloha. God, my God, you, Adonai, my God. Ha'ira enai. Okay, enlighten my eyes. Let my eyes be able to, to see the other elements around me so that I can get a grip, get a grip on myself. It's interesting. Again, Anani and enai, right? Answer me, eyes, sounds the same. A little poetic twist here, right? But you have Habita and Ha'ira, right? Look and enlighten. Hen Ishan Hamavet. Wow. Lest I sleep death. Lest I sleep death. What does that mean? Uh, Rabbi, I, I hear the end of a don lum there. Uh, Loira, lo when I go to sleep. I'm not going to be afraid at the end of a dono. (laughs) Afraid of death sleep. What does that, what does it mean? Death sleep. Okay. I don't know. Mike Harris. To me, it simply meant death. It could. Death. The the sleep of death. Yes. The sleep of death. I'm going to die. Or as they say in New York, I'm dying here, right? Tybal. 
is it just the will to live? Is it death because there's no desire to keep on going without help? I mean, you know, there's a, there's multiple options here. You know, Bert? Yeah, the, the line before when it talks about, at least this translation I'm seeing, the luster, restore luster to my eyes, meaning my eyes will be open and I will see. And that is contrasted in the next line with sleep, which is closed eyes. It could be. Yes. Yes. Yes, Jeannie. Just to piggyback on that, I, I interpret it as saying that if I don't open up my eyes, then I will sleep the sleep of death and let my enemy say I've overcome him. So in order not to do that, I need to open up my eyes and, and, and show some strength so that my enemy cannot say I've overcome him. Deprive them of that satisfaction. That's right. Good, there's so many. It, it, it's it's no no. It's a very powerful statement, but it's 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 obscurity it makes it very hard to wrap around. I mean, the a number of thoughts cross my mind. One, um, maybe he's suicidal. Maybe this is this is the kind of agony and anguish that he's bringing into his own soul. And it's going to end up ultimately with him killing himself because, you know, he his eyes have not been opened. He, he lives with this internal self-defined reality and his eyes aren't open so they can see the real reality, which may not be as bad as he thinks it is. Or where there are solutions that he can't find because he's so wrapped up in this internal pain, this emotional pain. So maybe suicide. Maybe he's thinking, eventually this is going to drain me. I see a hand. Just a second. That this, I'm not going. I'll use modern terms. That the stress of all of this stuff that's going on in me and around me, mostly in in me that I'm defining with my closed eyes, with my blind eyes, the stress it's going to kill me. I'll go to sleep one night and I won't wake up. And maybe he's afraid to go to sleep because he's afraid he's going to die. The mere fact of going to sleep will, will whatever control he has over the situation will be gone. And he's going to die. But I have another thought, but I'll say that. Mike? Yes. Um, in the, in uh, uh, paragraph two, where he complains that God is, hi- is hiding his face from him, maybe in uh, uh in this paragraph, the restoring luster to his eyes means to open his eyes so that, he, so that God is no longer hidden from him. Could be that God is, God is, uh, in a sense, um, but, but, so God has closed his eyes, not God's eyes. God has closed the speaker's eyes, and therefore it's like God has covered his face. God, right. God didn't cover his face. He... He covered it in the sense that he, yeah, I got it. That's really interesting. Yes, would be. But I have another thought. I wonder if the enemy is depression. What do, what do depressed people do a lot? Sleep, have trouble getting out of bed. Right. And I wonder if, if really the, the enemy here, this is a, he, you know, he can't, he doesn't know that term. You know, it's not 21st century or 20th century, but he feels that way, and he know, and he's sleeping 
He sleeps and sleeps and sleeps and he wakes up and it's everything's the same, you know? And so eventually he says, you know, the depression, it's over, it's overwhelming. What we would say depression. And he can't take an antidepressant because they don't exist. Or maybe he should take a drink some wine. I don't know. It'll make him sleep better. But the point is, it could be totally psychological to be very contemporary. Remember, psychological illness did not existed in the past. People just never knew what it was. Okay. And it could be that he's the guy's going through a state of horrible depression and what his his perception or lack of perception of it is just exacerbates the situation. This guy, as Bert said before, he's really suffering, really. But it's not pain. It's not physical pain. He doesn't say my body aches, right? It's his heart that aches, his neshama. This is sad, okay? All right. Now, there's because he's afraid that the enemy, look at verse 5, right? Pen Yomar Oivi, lest my enemy says, Yechaltiv, right? I have overcome him. Sarai, my enemy. Well, now it's plural. My enemies. Yagilu, they will rejoice when I stumble. Okay? Because he, in other words, he doesn't want the enemy to win. He doesn't want the enemy to win. Help me, God. I don't want this depression to take over. I don't want this urge to not wake up or fear of not waking up. Whatever it is, help me. Right? And then the last line. Chesed again, right? Chesed. You're chesed now. I have always had help. Notice it's batakti. doesn't say boteach. Boteach is present tense. Batakti is past tense. It means continuously. I have always had trust in your faithful, in your loyalty to me, in your commitment to, to, to being caring for me. Okay. My heart will rejoice with your salvation, with your saving me from this mess that I'm in. I will sing to God because God has already has, has given me good gifts. He's, he's, he's provided me with things. Gamal, past tense. In other words, what he's saying is, my experience with God has been positive. What's happened? Why did it suddenly flip negative like this? Why did that source of support for me dry up suddenly? Why am I in this mess? Help. Okay. And the last line, the fact that it's in past tense, the fact that it's in past tense, it begins with the words va'ani. And Benji Siegel says, but I, right? And that's really what it means. I, it begins that way. I, however, have always trusted in you. What's the implication? I, however, I like that. That others have not? What? That others have not? Who, for example, has not 
live it out. You said I, however, it sounds like you're saying other people don't, but I, however, do. Well, it may not be other people. But could it also be saying, hey, God, we've got this two-way thing going on, and I've kept up my part. What, what happened to you? That's what I'm thinking. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. We've got this two-way thing going. I've kept up mine, and you normally have kept, kept up yours. What happened? Did I fail? How? He doesn't say that. It's like Job again. What did I do wrong? Why have you changed the situation like this? Okay, I'm still here. I'm still willing to have faith in you. But you need to restore the relationship from your end. No, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to act. Okay, time. Oh, I have another question slash comment, if I may. Please, we have seven minutes. Oh, it won't take seven minutes. <laughs> the first time I read this line, I said, I know that, the last verse. I said, I know that. Where, yeah. Where's that from? Where's from? And of course, it's from Tzuk de Zimra. But the context there is completely different. Yes, of course. Because it's in a paragraph that is all about, that starts Hashiach Amecha, which is save your people, and the whole paragraph, which is different verses from Psalms, is all plural about Israel and whatever. And then at the end, it says, as for me, right. I trust you. So it's, I don't know, they, they pulled that out and put it in a completely different context. That's right, because that those paragraphs before the the complete Psalms right. are conglomerate. They're, they're com, com, uh, complex paragraphs. A compound paragraphs. Right. That but was, the context is completely different. Surprise, you got it. <laughs> you heard it before. Right. Very good. Mike Harris. Yeah, it's immediately before Mizmor Latada. Exactly. Yeah, prayer for Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, Leon. I still can come back to... Uh the nation, and in particular, what, what it, my impact from this is how I feel about what is happening in Israel. And, you know, this is one of the, uh, the, the grief of being impotent in, uh, in the face of overwhelming power. And, uh, I, I, I go through it. I can't tell you, you know, I, I need to study it more, but it seems to me that uh, we're going through some of these pains and uh, these uh, uh, feelings of depression uh, that are described by by the situation we are in. And it seems to me that this describes it extremely well. well I think you're right. The, the, these kinds, that's that's the power of this psalm. You can relate it to so many different situations when you're in deep trouble, right? And and very often, at least as somebody said earlier, the guy's honest enough to realize I've contributed to this myself, right? He said so, right? So this is a con- this is a a, a very complex, uh, multi-source psychological, emotional uh, dis- situation that he finds himself in. Doesn't this date to the Babylonian captivity? What? I looked up the the date 
that this supposedly was written, and it's a 500-something in the Babylonian captivity, which makes me think of what Leon just said, when it was written. Yeah, it's hard to know. Oh, okay. I, th- I thought it had been written then, and that would connect with the national tragedy. That was a- but I, I can't, I don't know. I mean, I look at the Hebrew, by the way, there's a radical difference between the Hebrew here and the Hebrew of Psalm 12. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew of Psalm 12 has ter- some, some terms that are very rarely used, like Zulot at the end, right? This, this, uh, 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 wrong page, sorry. Yeah, vileness, zulut, zulut. It actually is the word zulut. It's a very uncommon word. It's not the only place where it's mentioned. This is in Psalm 12, but that language in Psalm 12, two hapaxes, other terms that required me, among mm-hmm. others, to go to the lexicon to really understand what they are because they're very complex. Most of the terms in this are pretty well set, you know. They, so it could be that this is a later, you know, period when a lot, a number of the complexities or could be very early and very simple stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would, there's, um, my, to me, this, this is so universal in his, in its application, difficult to pinpoint a period out of which it came. That's I can't. I don't feel competent to do that. Okay, Tybal, and then we're going to stop. Go ahead. Um, and the in twelve nine, that word I thought I heard you translate it as violence before. Vile. Now, vileness. Vileness. That's actually what my JPS has. But I thought you were either Rabbi Benji or you had changed it to violence. But that was my hearing. Vileness. Yeah. Bad, it's evil, bad, yucky stuff. You know, it's vile. Rick? Do you want us to know which psalm you're doing next time? Which psalm I'm doing next time. I've already prepared that. That's why I know exactly it's on the tip of my tongue. (laughs) Uh, Psalm 19, something you're familiar with. 19, okay. Psalm 19, next week, same time, same station. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.